Hey, welcome everyone to a Baseball America podcast. College crew is all here on a Monday in uh, my ridiculous, uh, ridiculously messy office. That means Mike Lanana and Jim Schoner are here. Ted Cahill there on the West Coast. And Teddy, you're in what? You're in a coffee shop? Yeah, I'm in a, I'm in a Starbucks in LA uh, after the Dodger Stadium Classic this weekend. Well, my short intro will be to remind uh, longtime podcast listeners of the 2013, I believe it was March 2013 podcast I did on the college side where we were talking and I was interrupted by a homeless man. Actually, I believe we were doing a, uh, I believe we were actually doing a video update, a BA uh, Google Hangout, uh, where I was interrupted by a homeless man who was screaming at the coffee shop about uh, wondering where his pants were. Where are my pants? You took my pants and you threw them out and you can't take my pants and uh, various other things that were said. So trying to keep a straight face while sure, the guy sure was yelling about his a, pants. Sure it wasn't Kramer trying to return some pants? Or? They were the very pants that he was returning. Yes, yeah, so it, uh, it was an odd start to that, uh, to that Google Hangout. So as long as we avoid homeless screaming man coming into the middle of a coffee shop, it'll be an upgrade. Um, but the, uh, the, I guess the, the main thing, uh, Teddy, from your weekend was just uh, fans actually came out to watch some USC and UCLA, and I had Twitter feedback that we need more uh, marching bands at uh, college baseball. So first off, it was, it was Justin P. who tweeted at me, college baseball needs more marching bands. So aside from the marching band takeaway, what was uh, your other takeaways from the Dodgertown Classic uh, I guess for me the biggest one was Alec Hansen for Oklahoma pitching really well and uh, reestablishing some of his draft stock. But what were your big takeaways from the Dodgertown Classic? Yeah, that was definitely a big one on Saturday. You know, Hansen coming out and, and throwing six scoreless before uh, UCLA got to him in the seventh. And I mean, just him blasting into into the sixth was a big deal for him. He hadn't done that uh, this season, much less at the end of last season. So that was big, and, and UCLA getting three wins was big. Uh, that was a team that needed it. They, you know, lose that opening weekend series to Carolina, and then had, um, you know, it just hadn't really started off the way they wanted to. So to get three wins against three pretty quality opponents uh, in the in that event, uh, you know, could could springboard them, and, and they need it because you know their their schedule has not let up. Texas is next weekend, and and then they opened Pac-12 play with Cal. So they, they needed to get it going, and they did it this weekend. So that was that was really big for them, I thought. I'm going to go off on a tangent here, which I know you guys are really surprised by, but is Texas, like, trying to finagle its way into the Pac-12 baseball-wise? I mean, I know they played, they've played Stanford already. They've played Cal, correct? And now they play UCLA next weekend. I mean, I know Augie has Cal, California roots, but, I mean, he's been at Texas for 20 years. I mean... <laughs> Uh, maybe he wants to spice things up with some more California fare on his uh, Longhorn Network cooking and eating show. Have you guys ever seen that show? No, I can't say that I have. It's just all, it's Augie going to restaurants. It's like he just so has my dream job. I mean, I'm trying to steal control my control your controllables. I say that to my kids all the time. Uh, inspired by Augie, but uh, so he's like the Guy Fieri of college baseball coaches. It's better than that. It's a much better <laughs> job than that. He goes in and they show him how they're cooking it, and he goes, "Oh, that looks delicious!" And then he gets to eat, and he features their restaurant there in Austin. It, it's just a really—I don't know why I have Longhorn Network, but I do, and that's my favorite show on Longhorn Network. You just watch an Augie go around, always in a orange, a burnt orange shirt, and. Uh, he seems like he has good taste. There's so much barbecue in Austin, and 
I love that show. So, I mean, <laughs> I suppose that he could spice it up with some California fare. But obviously, I mean, that, that is a big deal for, for UCLA to get right, guys. And the top of the Pac-12 seems like it's going to be pretty stout. Oregon, Oregon State, Cal, we have all those teams ranked ahead of the Bruins. They kind of had to write the ship, Mike, didn't they, this weekend? And, and USC kind of had to start getting going a little bit. I mean, obviously, Teddy, you can chime in a little bit more on this as well. But what was your takeaway on those Pac-12 teams just overall for the weekend, Mike, not just the ones that were in Dodger Town? Yeah, well, I think it, it was very important for UCLA to, to have a good showing there. I mean, it could have been easy to, you know, after the first couple of weeks of the season, be very reactionary and, and bang them very very hard in the pole. But, you know, we, we do believe in the, in the talent that they have there. It's, it's going to be, you know, they're going to have some ups and downs, especially with the injuries that they've had this year. But you have to believe in that coaching staff and, and the arms that they have. But you look at the rest of the Pac-12, I, I think Oregon had a, a very loud weekend against UC Santa Barbara, who came in rolling. You know, it's like were, your best two-in-one weekend you can have yeah. in Oregon, basically. They were, I mean, they were very hot, and, you know, the game that they lost was a one nothing game that went 14 innings, so, you know, it's not like they were blown out. So, you know, the, the thing that really stood out was, you know, their three left-handers in that rotation, Cole Irvin, Matt Crook, and, and David Peterson, they're, they're filthy. You know, and especially in that ballpark, which is a pitcher's ballpark, I mean, you're going to have a hard time scoring runs against them, and they have the stuff to pitch anywhere, too. So Those guys are filthy. I mean, we kind of, yeah. you know, it makes more sense that, you know, Irvin's an extra year removed from Tommy John. Uh, you know, Patterson's not a, not a freshman anymore. He has that year of experience. He was pretty inconsistent last year. Um, you know, Teddy, what was your takeaway with the Trojans this weekend? That's the, we've talked about these top, the teams that are ranked. The Trojans were ranked. They lost a series at home to North Dakota. When you do that, it's actually written into the Baseball America bylaws that you drop out of the top 25 when you lose to a Dakota team or anyone named Dakota. Hmm. Um, but how they how they look in their bounce back uh, in, in this weekend, obviously they lost the finale to uh, to UCLA. What, what was your takeaway after watching the Trojans in person? Looked, uh, three close games for them, uh, which has kind of been their MO. And, and you know, Dan, Coach Dan Pumps knows that that's the way they're going to play, um, at least right now, until they get things straight out that they're going to play close games. And so they, um, you know, they went one and two. And I mean, they really should have, you know, they, they can come away from it thinking that they should have won all three. And uh, I, I know yesterday Hub said that, you know, he felt like they didn't play their best baseball. But if they do that, they win those games. And I mean, they, they need to get going, and it's not going to get any easier because they go to TCU this weekend. Uh, so, yeah, that's just like UCLA. There's no let-up for the Trojans, and they didn't quite have the weekend that the UCLA did because they weren't quite able to get into the hub in these, these one-run games. Yeah, I'm going to stick with you here, Teddy, because your connection is a little tough and you're out and out there, and I, I want to get a couple more observations from you, and then we'll let you go and – uh, Jimmer and, and Mike and I will wrap up the podcast, but um, but what was the kind of the rest of your takeaways again from Dodgertown? Uh, Mississippi State goes out there. You got to see a tie, so that's uh, <laughs> congratulations, Teddy. You got to see a college baseball tie. It's very rare. Um, but uh, you know the Bulldogs. Obviously, Oklahoma's fallen out of our rankings. Mississippi State's still hanging around toward the back of the rankings. Um, you, know, you got to see Dakota Hudson this weekend, and like you said, you saw Hanson at his best uh, at least so far this year. What'd you, what was your take on the Bulldogs and uh, how ready are they for the grind of Southeastern Conference play? Well, I think they're still working some things out. Dakota Hudson was really good on Friday night, and uh, you know, they, they probably need to win a game like that for him. You know, Griffin Canyon was at UCLA. I'm opposing him, but 
you know, if um, your starter gives you what Dakota Hudson gave, gave Mississippi State, you know, you got to win those games, really. And then they went back and they, they won a tough one against uh, USC the next day. And then and they jumped out to a nice lead on Sunday. And it looked like Oklahoma wasn't all that interested in playing at the start of that game. It was an early morning game, and you know, Oklahoma looked a little lackluster. But, you know, give Oklahoma credit, they came back and, and they, they got a tie in that one because of the travel curfew. But, you know, so if you're Mississippi State, I mean, that, that last Sunday game, you know, letting that one play was, uh, was maybe not ideal. Uh, so it's definitely one that, that they're going to want to have back, I think. And, and um, but they're, they're in decent shape. It's a young team, and, and uh, you know, the, the talent's there. It's just a matter of figuring things out there. Now, Teddy, uh, one other thing I wanted to ask you about. I mean, what was the kind of, you know, you've had back-to-back weekends in big league parks with college baseball playing those big league parks. And those are some events with some history. Um, you know, it's not the first time they've had the Dodger Town Classic. And it's certainly not the first time. It's like the 10th time they've had the Astros College Classic. What's the, compare and contrast the, the, the vibes of those two events. You know, what's the what's it like going to a college tournament in a big league park in Texas versus going to one in California. It's your first time at both events. Uh, Compare and contrast them for the, for our listeners who, who don't go to those games. Yeah. The Houston one is actually in like year 16, I think. Oh, wow. Shopping was uh, the MVP of the first Houston classic. That's a long Uh, time ago. It is. Uh, He's out of baseball now, but so the, the um, atmosphere, um, Houston was was pretty good, especially when uh, when the Cajuns were playing. Louisiana Lafayette brought a lot of fans, but um, it, it you know you do kind of get lost in, in a big league park like that's here in LA. You know, it's only one day, and they're bringing in two local rivals, and they put nine thousand fans in Dodger Stadium, which obviously fifty thousand. So it still does. It, it's a little different, but getting the fans in there, getting fans in there, I guess last year was 15,000, and this year there's there's some weather concerns that, that kind of muted the attendance a little bit, but uh, the atmosphere was, was really good in that second game yesterday, the, the rivalry game, and, you know, USC brought brought a band, and, and the cheerleaders, and the song girls, and, and UCLA had, had a band there, and they both have a lot of fans, and it was really a good setting, and, and just a, a good day for baseball in Southern California. Well, I like that, and uh, you know, again, these Pac-12 teams are playing really good non-conference schedules coming up. So, hope that people respond to it, not just when it's uh, the Dodger Town Classic. And uh, good stuff, Teddy, and obviously more stuff to come at BaseballAmerica.com and in the pages of the magazine. I'm gonna let you go. Um, I blame Starbucks for the Starbucks for the spottiness of our uh, of our uh, connection today, but uh, I appreciate you uh, plowing through and. Uh, We'll talk to you again next week when you're actually in the office. We, we miss having you in the office for these. Yeah, I've been happy to be on the road, but it'll be, I'll be back in, uh, back there on Monday and, and uh, all weekend for the start of ACC play. Absolutely. Well, I'm glad you got out there. And uh, safe travels back. Ted Cahill out from California. Thanks again, Teddy. We will continue here on the Baseball America podcast. Right after this from SeatGeek, who is our uh, sponsor here on the Baseball America podcast. Well, this Baseball America podcast's sponsor is SeatGeek, and uh, one of the things we love about SeatGeek is they're, they've been wondering if you've ever been frustrated trying to buy tickets online. And most sites make it complicated and then try to sneak in huge fees at checkout. 
That's why you need to try SeatGeek, because they've made it better and easier than ever to buy and sell sports and concert tickets. I'll tell you, for me, the big one on the on the horizon is I'm Greek, and in Greek, my name is Yanni, and April 3rd, Yanni comes to Durham to Deepak. I don't want to pay full price for Yanni. In fact, I should get in free for Yanni, because my name is Yanni. But I'm going to have to go to SeatGeek to make sure that I get the best price for Yanni when he comes to Durham. And here's how SeatGeek makes that happen. First, I have the app on my phone, and they take all the work and the hassle out of shopping for tickets. SeatGeek pulls all the tickets available on other sites into one place. It saves you time, and you never miss a deal. Even better, every ticket on SeatGeek is given a grade based on value. If you're a BA reader, you love that. So you can immediately find underpriced seats, and before you buy, you can use SeatGeek's detailed maps to see the view from your seat. Best of all, SeatGeek is honest and upfront about price. SeatGeek shows you the full ticket price, unlike StubHub, from start to finish, and never surprises you with huge fees at checkout. Baseball America podcast listeners listeners get a $20 rebate off their first SeatGeek purchase. So to get your $20 rebate on tickets, download the free SeatGeek app, go to the settings tab, and click add a promo code. Enter promo code BA20, that's BA, and then the numbers 2 and 0, and SeatGeek will send you $20 after you've made your first ticket purchase. Download the free SeatGeek app and enter promo code BA20 today. We're back on the Baseball America podcast now with Jim Schonert and Michael and Anna. And guys, you guys also saw some college baseball this weekend up close and personal. We'll talk about that. You guys both saw, saw Southeastern Conference and ACC teams, a couple SEC, ACC grudge matches, um, one with much larger grudges than the other. Um <laughs> But uh, what were y'all's takeaway, just real quick, on, on UCLA and and, uh, and USC, Mississippi State, Oklahoma? Anything you guys wanted to throw in, Jimmer? Uh, I mean, it w- that was a pretty big missed opportunity, I thought, for SC last night. Um, like how we've talked about how they're trying to kind of make up for that North Dakota series and getting getting a win against the Bruins would have been a pretty big deal. So they did obviously they did beat Wake Forest uh, series last week, which is a good start, but. It will help it, them. It you, been, you beat an ACC team, yeah, that helps you from so that's an R- a good RPI starting standpoint. Point. And then, but yeah, beating the Bruins would have been a nice little uh, little benchmark for them. But I mean, they're still it still feels like they're trending back in the right direction, at least. That said, they've got uh, they got is, they got at TCU next weekend and they'll open uh, Pac-12 play with Cal. They've got a Santa Barbara series in there. They've got to go to Stanford. They got to go to Oregon. Um, their series against UCLA is at UCLA. They do get the O State ball is at home, but whew, that's a tough road to hoe for USC. Time is kind of running out for them to. I think it's running out for Oklahoma too, to be honest. And yeah, and I think that's, I think that's yeah, right. They need to get they need to get something done. They've not really shown much. I mean, the start of the year clearly it's so compressed. Uh, so especially with the larger conferences like the ACC and SEC, yeah. where you really only have three weekends. Of non-conference to get. I think the Big Twelve has a little more, but Big Twelve has a little more. The Pac Twelve has four weeks, but you know the Pac Twelve teams. They tell you all, every, all, every year, Mike. All the coaches out there correctly say, you know, it's not like uh, where you're a southeastern team and you can play non-conference midweek against northeastern teams that are getting started and coming down for spring break, that kind of stuff early, or you can play Big South or smaller conference teams. There's so many more co- uh, college conferences. In the southeast, whereas out west, if you're a Pac-12 team and you're playing a Big West team midweek, that's not an easy game. No matter what Big West team you're playing, that's not an easy game. 
uh, there are very few easy games on the West Coast at midweek. And so it feels like when you get off to a slow start like USC is, it's harder to climb out of that hole. Huh? Do you think you have USC and Oklahoma put themselves a too big of a hole to dig out of early? I mean, it's going to be tough for sure. And, you know, USC is a team that we had ranked, you know, fairly highly in the preseason. It's a team that we really liked, a veteran group. And, you know, I think kind of the key for them so far is, for one, they haven't been healthy on the mound. You know, they've missed Mitch Hart, who was great right. for them as a freshman last year. They haven't had Merrick Krause, who was a, a highly touted recruit coming yeah, 11th in. Yeah, 11th round pick. Right. I mean, those are two arms that could help them quite a bit. And you look at what their weekend rotation has done so far this year. Kyle Davis has been solid. He's been steady, and, and they expected that. But really, the other two guys, Brent Wheatley, a guy who pitched for them last year, and, you know, Bernanda Flores, who pitched mainly out of the bullpen last year, they haven't been getting the job done so far. So, you know, I, I do think they have, they have to figure out things on the, on the pitching side and obviously try to generate a bit more offense, too, and it's going to be tough. I mean, you talked about their opponents that they have coming up. TCU is a very, very good team. That's, that's going to be a very tough series for them, and I think that's going to say a lot about what the Trojans are. So they are in a deep hole. They can climb out of it, but they need to do it now. They need to win now. Jim, I, I think you're right also about Oklahoma. Four I mean, and seven. Four, seven, and one. They're 4 7 and one and they've got Long Beach State at home next weekend. They've got Wichita State at midweek. Those aren't gimmies. And they go to Fresno and Cal State Bakersfield. I'm sorry, CSU Bakersfield is what they want to be called. A million different style for a Cal State team. Sorry, we're going to call it Cal State Bakersfield. Um, that those, I mean, aren't, those aren't ranked teams. Long Beach State's in the discussion. We discussed the dirtbags and last night's ranking meeting. Oklahoma better kick yeah. it into gear. I mean, certainly Hanson pitching better this weekend is a big step for them, but like I said, it's, I mean, they're they're in a hole. And, yeah, Long Beach, not easy. Then they get uh, Texas Tech and Texas to start conference play. So, I mean, it's, they've, they've, got, they've got to perform. I mean, I haven't, I mean, I haven't looked at their, um, I mean, we're three weeks in, so it's a little early to start looking at RPIs, but I'd imagine, I'd imagine they're, I mean, they're putting pressure on themselves. They're going to have to probably finish, you know, top three, four in that conference. That sounds imagine. like a focus for this week's hashtag show nerdology. Exactly. Of looking at which of these kind of preseason That is something I've teams. kind of looked at a little bit, just like some of these power conference teams that are either like in the top ten already or are in bad. Like North Carolina is number one right now. In the RPI. In the RPI, in the WarrenNolan.com RPI. And um should have put it up in front of me, but... There's like I think North Carolina State's in the top ten. Florida's already in the top ten. There are several teams like that. You know, you beat Dartmouth. With, yeah. That really gets done for you. I mean, there are like there are still like some random northern teams like Central Connecticut State's like number four or something. So, but you know, the, like the, those power conference teams are going to stay up there as long as they perform decently in the in conference play. And then you look at like their, you know, like um, you know, like a random there's like a ACC team or something that's in like a hundred like a hundred and ten or something like that. I mean, that's a lot of, there's a lot of season left, but that's a lot of ground to make up. You gotta, I mean, the answer to all of it is you gotta perform in conference play, but some of these teams have a little more margin than others. And like you said, there's, there's time. So for USC and Oklahoma, it's not, you don't press the panic button no. for what they did in Dodger Town, but you start to worry. Texas, you know, five and seven, yeah. they've played a stout schedule. We just talked about who are they playing next weekend. They're playing UCLA. Mm-hmm. You know, and then Cal. And, so it's just not, Gonna be easy for Texas. At some point, you can't just play good teams. You gotta beat some of those good teams. So, um, that was one of our questions going into the weekend with South Carolina guys was, 
how good are the Gamecocks really? Yeah, we thought they were a regional team coming into the year, but they had not played a tough schedule, Mike. And mm-hmm. this weekend they played Clemson. Correct me if I'm wrong. Your impression of the Gamecocks coming out of this weekend is we didn't rank them because they lost the series, and yet I think you think more highly of them now than you did going into the weekend. Is that fair to say? Yeah, I think so. I, I think I look at the Gamecocks, and I think on paper with the talent they have, I think it's a team that should be better than Clemson. Obviously, they weren't this weekend. Obviously, Clemson is the better team, but I really do like what they have talent-wise. You know, you look at their weekend rotation, you know, fronted by Clark Schmidt, who was excellent on Friday night. He was filthy. If he keeps pitching like that, they're not going to lose many Friday games. You look at Braden Webb, who is a draft-eligible freshman, who's, you know, I had him 90-93, uh, on that Saturday game, and, you know, he's got a hammer of a curveball, and, you know, they have Taylor Widener, who's an asset as a Sunday starter, a guy who's closed for them before, a guy with a good fastball and a good slider, so they have a, a steady rotation, and then, you know, John Jones has been, you know, excellent for them, a Juco transfer that they have, he's been batting in the middle of the order, he's been hitting everything, it seems, and hmm. Alex Destino has really stepped up as a sophomore, you know, had a huge game on Friday night, going 5-for-5, five 4-RBIs, five, four you know, he was a big difference maker for them offensively, so I like what they have, I think they have some pieces, you know, it was just it was just kind of strange to see them on, on Saturday and Sunday, they almost looked a little listless, and, you know, good pitching will do that sometimes, you know, you have to give right. credit to Clemson, you know, Clay Schmidt, the other Schmidt, pitched very, very well. His changeup was working. It, you know, it was, a, it was a plus pitch for him that day. He was he was keeping them off balance. And then Alex Eubanks, the freshman yesterday, was doing the same with his slider and his cutter, mixing it up and keeping the ball low in the zone. They're not guys that are going to overpower you, but, you know, if you can keep the ball low and throw strikes and play defense, which Clemson defended very well this weekend, you know, they're, they're going to hit enough to win you know, in a series like that. So, And last year, Clemson did the same thing, right? I mean, right. They played really well. They pitched really well. Right. Um, and it didn't seem like... It, it, that didn't catapult Clemson to what they needed to do. It did seem like it kind of helped put South Carolina in a little bit of a funk. I mean, did they address mm-hmm. that at all this weekend? Did their players talk at all about that, about trying to overcome the loss of this series that clearly matters to their fans, their recruiting, all that kind of stuff? Or was that not something where they just kind of focus on uh, kind of next man up? And then they played, in general, fairly well this weekend. Right. Well, you know, actually on, on Clemson's side, Andrew Cox, who's a, who's a veteran for him, he had the big hit yesterday, a two-run a two run single that kind of broke things open. You know, he was talking about how last year that series they won, and, and then they didn't really do anything after that. You know, Clemson kind of had a, a middling season, you know, after that. And so, you know, I know I know on the Clemson side, they're certainly focused on moving forward and not getting too high after this series, you know, they're starting ACC play this week at Wake Forest, who's a, a tough team. You know, they're 9-3 yeah. this year, and that's there's gonna very be a lot offensive. Of offense. Yeah, it's going to be an offensive series for sure, especially in Winston-Salem. So, you know, they're, they're not trying to, you know, they're trying not to bank on just this series alone. And, you know, South Carolina, you look at what they have coming up. I mean, other than this Clemson series, it's a, it's a, a pretty soft non-conference schedule. So you would have to think they can, you know, continue to to pad this ten and two record that they have right now going into SEC play. You know, I think I think they'll look good record wise going into it, but it's going to be interesting to see how you know their first SEC test is against Arkansas. It's a very good team, so you know we'll see how they respond to that. But one more non conference week, correct for uh, South Carolina? And I yes. guess the difference in the SEC and the ACC is that every ACC team takes a week off. Yeah. Uh, for exams, Southeastern Conference teams ten, plow right ten through. Ten straight weeks of conference. Ten, yeah. ten straight weeks, no week off. So one more non-conference week for those teams to get uh, to get right. Uh, the rest of the Southeastern Conference guys, any thoughts uh, 
Jim, anybody uh, in the SEC this week really uh, do it for you? Hint, hint. I mean, I guess it's going to be Alabama. You saw the Crimson Tide. I saw two innings of Crimson Tide this weekend uh, against Brown before I was uh, freezing and decided to actually go uh, go seek shelter. Um, yeah. There's no shelter at Field Two at the, no, at the MTC. I'll tell you that right now. But the, the you know, obviously their biggest test of the weekend was NC State. They lost that. They did get a win against mm-hmm. Notre Dame. Um, what was your take on the Crimson Tide this weekend? Yeah, I mean they look they're very tough. They're going to give a lot of people trouble all year. I mean it would not uh, surprise me if they win a series against one of the the big teams in the SEC. Um, just mostly on the strength of their pitching. I mean they don't have a I do wonder a little bit about how much they're going to hit. I mean, they've got some phys- physical guys, some athletes out there, but I mean, they haven't, you know, they haven't really killed the ball so far. But um, yeah, they're I mean, last in the SEC in batting yeah. right now and last in runs. So. It's basically been two or three guys carrying them offensively. But um, pitching wise, I mean, they're not, you know, they're not Florida or Vanderbilt, but they've got a pretty, especially have a deep bullpen. I mean, Thomas Burroughs' numbers, his stat line is pretty insane so far. At eight innings, two hits, thirteen Ks. Um, but it's a deep bullpen. Their rotation is solid, solid, kind of like I said, kind of solid but unspe- You know, maybe not not a bunch of first rounders, but they're solid. Um, they'll play defense, so they're gonna win. They're gonna win some tight games, and they're they'll probably be. They'll, one of the things we've talked about on when we were doing the rankings last night is they've got a, a home field now, which is right. gonna be a boost for them. Um, we saw them. You know, they beat. Maryland uh, week one, that's a good series win. Another team I saw this weekend, but uh, yeah, I mean the Tide, they're they're gonna be they're probably you know they're not in that elite level of the conference. They're not you know in the Florida Vanderbilt class, A and M class, but they're in the next group. I think that's pretty uh, safe to say right now. We're not putting them on that pinnacle to no. use the uh, Cam uh, the Cam uh, Newtonism. <laughs> that's my favorite Cam Newtonism. We, we will analyze them from every <laughs> angle though. He does not, uh, he, he does have that malapropism. Uh, tool in him, and that's, he's, it's, it's, it's not even that tangential. He's an SEC player, so yeah. we could we could bring him up in this uh, milieu. Uh, we'll see uh, Alabama. You know, Nick Eichels did not pitch this weekend. Forearm strain. Mm-hmm. We'll see how significant that injury is. They would certainly rather have him than not have him. But uh, this weekend, obviously, they they were able to overcome that pitching wise. You were also in Greenville, Jim, to mm-hmm. see uh, some uh, Keith LeClaire classic yep. some. Uh, did you get to see the Tennessee Vols there? And if so, uh, what was your takeaway on a Tennessee team that is off to a seven and three start, and it's an offense first team, which yeah, is, that is really surprising. But it's surprising. I mean, that's yeah. Dave Serrano coached team in his fourth season there. We kind of thought that his reputation has been made, his bones have been made as a pitching guy, and yet Tennessee's really, you know, outside of Zach Godley. <laughs> Hashtag personal cheese ball. Outside of Zach Golly, I think in, in Serrano's first season there, they really haven't uh, pitched great, and they still aren't pitching great. Now his son Kyle Serrano's out of the mix with injuries. So kind of what was your takeaway from the volunteers there? Yeah, I mean, that's an offensive team. I think them and Alabama play each other, I think, second week at conference play, so that's going to be a little bit of a contrast in styles. But, um, yeah, I mean, obviously Nick Senzel yes. is training day. That's right. Calls the uh, you know, obviously he's the the guy that gets the headlines there, but it's a pretty deep offense. I mean, they, you know, they hit they torched Mike Schwarn on uh, Friday. I mean, That's that was guy. impressive. Yeah, he is my guy. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, so and then the you know and then beat East Carolina on Saturday, so that's a pretty good win. Uh, did come up short yesterday against Southeastern Louisiana, but um, I mean, yeah, that's a that's a good offensive team. They can they've got some power. They have got guys that can 
find the gaps. They've got some speed. Got some, you know, good at, good athletes. Vincent Jackson's a big guy who kind of protects Senzel in that lineup. Um, so yeah, I'm a senior, like, a guy who's mm-hmm. been there, was a highly recruited player out of the Atlanta area. It was a really big get for Tennessee when they first got Vincent mm-hmm. Jackson. So it's good for from a prospect standpoint to kind of see him finally start to mm-hmm. produce when a lot was expected of him earlier exactly. in his career. So yeah, I mean they're gonna win. It feels like they're probably gonna win most. Their games, like, they're going to win more 6-5 games than 3-2 games, it feels like. Um, they kind of, their bullpen kind of let them down. The two games, I they, they lost both games I saw. I didn't see them on Saturday when they beat the, the Pirates. But, um, you know, the bullpen kind of let them down both games. Their starters didn't go very deep. So, obviously, missing Serrano is a big deal there. So, that's a little bit of a worry. Um, but, yeah, I mean, they're, they're, they're definitely a chance to be a regional team. I know that's kind of a... That program has been waiting for that, and they've kind of it's a, it's they've a, thought they could do it, and they haven't done it yet. So that's kind of the thing we want to see them improve it. It's an athletic department in some tumult. Yeah, There's like, a, that's a kind way I think to put it. So um, that is a just a prime opportunity for a baseball program where if you want you, know, you want the campus to rally around you, you want to get some attention. If they win some early Southeastern Conference series, I would imagine that Tennessee's baseball program would be. The toast of campus, so it's a real opportunity for them. See if they can seize it. Um, you know, Mike. Just other takeaways for you from the southeastern, the rest of the SEC. And one of the games I did get a chance to watch a little bit online was uh, Tristan Beck and Stanford against Vanderbilt. And mm-hmm. Tristan Beck, you can see why the Braves offered that guy <laughs> two point five million plus in the draft last year. And yet Vanderbilt again uh, loses the opening game. Comes back and wins the rest of that series against Stanford. Uh, pitched very well, only gave up seven runs all weekend. You had uh, Florida, you know, with some trouble in one game against Dartmouth, but mm-hmm. walk-off homer from Buddy Reed. Florida doing what they're supposed to do, sweeping. Uh, any other SEC teams from this weekend uh, catch your fancy or capture any of the buzz <laughs> among the SEC and the South Carolina media, of which there's many, um, <laughs> this weekend for you while you're around the SEC? For me, it's got to be Ole Miss. It's, it's got to be the Rebels. You know, I'm, I'm hearing the Rebel yell right now. <laughs> See, uh, the word Rebels makes me think of Public Enemy, <laughs> the rhythm, the Rebel, without a pause, I'm lowering my level, the hard rhymer, et cetera, et cetera. But for you, you went Billy, Billy Idol. Idol. I went Billy Idol, yeah. And Billy Idol's songs are older than Public Enemies. So yeah. I don't know what's going on there. but a little, Yeah, a little weird, but... Yeah, um, you know, they're knocking on the door of, you know, really that elite group in, in the SEC, I feel like. I mean, you look at them, they've, they've really been on a roll, taking two out of three against Louisville, who was our number two team in the yes. season, and a very good team. It was, it was at home, but hey, I mean, winning two games against that team isn't an easy thing to do. And then, you know, they come to, to Conway, South Carolina um, this weekend, playing in the Chanticleer Classic, and they, they sweep the competition. You know they beat Coastal, who was who was in our rankings. We've we've dropped them this week after a six and five start to the season, and uh, you know so that they've won you know now five games in a row. They've scored seven runs or more in their last four games. And you look at their team, and you know they have some some very interesting prospects on this team. You know, right. you know guys guys like Errol Robinson at shortstop. You know with a lot of athleticism there, a lot of tools there. JP Woodman out in the outfield. And Brady Bramlett's been very good for them as a Friday starter. He's a quality guy, a guy with a lot of experience. And let's face it, JB Woodman is made to play in Omaha. Yeah, yeah. There's a building that says Woodman. <laughs> I mean, I know it's plural Woodman, but it's downtown. It's you know, I know it's not the the first National Bank Tower is the tallest building now, but let's face it, when your name is JB Woodman, I mean, it's almost like your density. I mean, your mm-hmm. destiny. 
to play in Omaha. So uh, I don't even remember. Was he on the 2014 team? I don't think he was. He's he a sophomore um, now. Yeah, I don't remember him. J.B. Woodman, he's, yeah. a, he's a junior. Uh, I guess he would have been, been, been on that team, so person. forgive me. I guess he's already fulfilled his, des- his <laughs> destiny. But yeah. he, he, this is a, you know, a high school quarterback, star, big-time recruit for them as a baseball player. He was a big draft guy. He was kind of like, you know, if you're a prospect fan, he was like the next version of Brett Phillips for area scouts there in Central Florida. Brett Phillips was the guy who was a baseball guy but had been an all-conference football player. That fall, the teams didn't have a huge read on him. He had a good spring, might being a six-round pick. The next year, that's who J.B. Woodman was kind of compared to. He's a different kind of player. He's a little more physical and a little bit less speed-oriented guy than Brett Phillips. But yeah, I, I think I know I expected that he was going to be able to hit the ground running and be a instant contributor and factor at Ole Miss. It's neat to see him developing that way as a junior and you know, better late than ever. The other thing I love about Ole Miss is that they schedule tougher. Mm-hmm. The most SEC teams do in the non-conference, and they go on the road. Because like last weekend they played Louisville. Uh, I like that about Coach Mike Bianco. The, you know, it's, it, to me, all Miss's program is kind of similar to North Carolina's, and they haven't gotten over that hump as far as winning a national championship. But you know, they had a long string of successes. Mike Bianco has been there a long time. He hasn't been afraid to adjust though to to reevaluate what he's done there. I really have a lot of respect for that. I used to be on the kind of bashing Bianco kind of train. I thought that they were a program that never got over the hump and never was going to. And I just love the fact that he has adjusted as a head coach because uh, he's, he's had to, and he's gotten better at things. He's, they've gotten more athletic as a team. They recruit a little bit differently. Um, Carl Lafferty, I think, does a really nice job as their recruiting coordinator. They've had to adjust with Cliff Godwin leaving the program. But I have a lot of respect for Coach Bianco in the way that the Ole Miss program – has adjusted from what was like a Nader in what 2013 gym when they were yeah. riding high midseason. They had a collapse in the second half. Were terrible here in the regional over at mm-hmm. NC State, but they they changed the way they do things in that program. They haven't overhauled it. They've just made some tweaks. So I, I I'm encouraged for Ole Miss. I like to see coaches who learn from their mistakes and get better at it. And maybe mistakes is even too harsh of a word, but I, I like that for what Ole Miss has done. So. Put put bluntly, I kind of root for Ole Miss to do well because I like to see that Mike Bianco has seen things that he was doing, kept the things he liked and that were working, and has adjusted to it. Errol Robinson is another guy that's easy to root for. Mm-hmm. Uh, saw that guy at the uh, AFLAC tournament. Um, I don't think anyone questions the defense for him on the college side, but if that guy hits, he has a chance to be top two rounds of the draft because there are not that many college middle infielders. Uh, competing with him, so right. Uh, I'm, I'm much thinner shortstop group this year, college wise, than last year. We were spoiled last year. We were spoiled yeah. last year, and then yeah, that's a, that's okay. Uh, <laughs> to, to pull a Stuart Smalley, we don't need to have six uh, or seven or eight college shortstops go in the first two three rounds every year. That makes us appreciate what we had uh, last year even more. Um, so, Baseball America College Podcast, guys, I'll go to uh, your final thoughts. Any other takeaways that you guys had? Uh, Mike, besides just all the crowds and the uh, the smell of success there that you <laughs> saw there in uh, South Carolina and Clemson, that series. I mean, Floor Field's a pretty uh, – I love that. Field's one of my favorite ballparks uh, down in Greenville. Uh, in Greenville, South Carolina, underrated city, underrated uh, destination. I've enjoyed my trips there. Uh, whether it was from that series or anything else, what was your uh, kind of your final thought here for the podcast? Yeah, I mean, I think my, my biggest question, you know, from everything that we've talked about so far is – 
Where are my pants? <laughs> I, I think that's my biggest point. No, um, that was. A, I'm telling you, that was an epic moment that will hopefully never be repeated in BA podcast history. Well, it just happened. Um, Where are my pants? <laughs> I want to see what. I need my pants. It was great. That guy was. Uh, he was having a rough day. Rough day in San Francisco that morning. But no, no, I um, I really enjoyed my time in, in South Carolina this weekend. It was, it was my first time checking out Floor Field and really my first time exploring Greenville. And, you know, it was a cooler downtown area than I was I was expecting. It's and got some funk. It does. It. it does have some funk. And, it hides it well. Yeah. And uh, so it was a cool city. And, and I really like what, what Clemson is doing with, with Doug Kingsmore. They built a new baseball center on the on the first base side. And I was able to, to tour that, uh, their SID there, uh, Brian Hennessy was, was great in, in, in showing me uh, everything there. And, I believe uh, he is the dean of <laughs> ACC baseball SIDs. I believe he has, with, mm-hmm. with perhaps one or two year interruption, I believe he's been the SID at Clemson since 1996. Either 96 or 95, he barely predates me. There were a year or two, there was a year or two in there where he wasn't the baseball contact, but uh, Brian is a pro's pro, mm-hmm. and you know the crazy thing is the MVPs of that series. Correct me if I'm wrong. Are named for the two longtime sports formation guys, yes. Tom Price at South uh, Carolina, and oh god, I can't believe I can't remember the Clemson guy's name. I think his last name is Bradley. Please look that up for me because those two gentlemen were the sports formation contacts for those two schools for so long. And had such respect that the MVPs of the series between those two schools is named for the two sports formation longtime contacts. Those were very difficult shoes to fill, and yet Brian Hennessy and Andrew Kiddick have done it so ably over the last Bob 15, Bradley. 20 years. Bob Bradley, thank you. I did not want to get that wrong. Um, th- those two guys are such pros. That's actually from a media standpoint. I know we're a little inside baseball here. That's one of the funnest things about covering that series, really, isn't it? Dealing with those two guys. Yeah, no, it's uh, their SIDs are two of the the top SIDs in, in the business that I've come across. So it's one of these days we're we'll probably end up fun. doing a rankings for that <laughs> on a deep page and uh, offending all the SIDs we don't rank and doing an SIDs podcast. So that's why we don't do that. We don't want to piss anybody off. But those guys are on the short list. They're just real professionals. Oh, definitely, definitely, and it, and it's cool to see you know just all the the attention and excitement around college baseball there you know there, it almost reminded me somewhat of an omaha kind of feel you know walking in td td ameritrade park and seeing all the buzz and tailgating and all that i mean you see that there i saw it in greenville i saw it in clemson you know people are were excited about it and you know you know doing press conferences after the game and having you know hordes of media there you know yeah. it's just it's just cool to see and both were record breaking crowds uh you know the two days i was there in greenville and clemson so I would have to imagine that uh, Brad Brownell and uh, Frank Martin, the basketball coaches of those two schools, look on very jealously at the <laughs> passion that fans of the Palmetto State have for college baseball. It is my number one favorite thing about the Palmetto State. It's not even close. Because I love how much their fans are into not just that rivalry, but it's college baseball, and it's not just those two schools. That's the other great thing about it. Charleston, college Charleston, Citadel, Winthrop, all over that uh, state, Francis Marion, Coastal, exactly. I mean, Francis Marion, the D2 level. Uh, there's good junior college baseball in South Carolina, Spartanburg Methodist, I mean, uh, and, and other programs. That state is a baseball state. It's a great baseball state. I know it's a football state, too, but it's a great baseball state, and uh, you, can't, you just can't take anything away from, from the Palmetto State when it comes to baseball. Uh, Jimmer, I wanted to ask you, among your other takeaways, Process for our readers, Dallas Baptist scoring 33 stinking runs in a game. 
Because Dallas Baptist had not been off to a great start. No, not, a little not especially. Yeah, I mean, they lost that series to Oral Roberts. Um, I mean, they. I think they they are an offensive. I mean, even before that, we knew they were an offensive team. They've got some. You know, they've always had some physical guys. But I mean, kind of. I guess you kind of combine that with going to a uh, Albuquerque. I know they don't. I assume New Mexico's park is. Uh, it's the it's like the. I don't. Do they still play there? I thought they I did. Are they know. at Lobo Field now? I assume it's the same, uh, you know, altitude and whatnot. So I assume you still can hit the ball there. But yeah, I mean, you combine that. I mean, that was thirty-three runs. I mean, it's one thing when you see a, you know, Florida State do that against some, you know, you know, poor Northern team or something. But to see, you know, to go on the road to a, a de- you know, a good program in New Mexico, and th- thirty-three. I mean, I can't even can't even begin to register that, but um, yeah, I mean, so that's I'll say that was a and they did end up winning that series. So I mean, DBU we kind of like them as the favorite in the uh, the valley. Um, so that was a big thing for them. I would say the few a few other takeaways I kind of had this weekend. Um, we're a little worried about Virginia. They didn't they didn't exactly come back with a vengeance after losing that series to the Pirates. No, uh, especially when they're you win the first game with Connor Jones. Yeah. Then on Saturday you take a nine nothing lead and against Monmouth and blow it, and then yeah. that, you know, and they wound up winning the game and then win. lose the finale. Yeah. Um, I think they're still trying to figure out their bullpen a little yeah, bit I think there. Yeah, that, that's been the problem. And, and they start with Duke in yeah, ACC so we'll see play. Them, see them here. Uh, so even with Connor Jones, that's not a given on Friday because they're going against Bailey Clark. Yeah. 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 That's going to be a great matchup on Friday. But that is, I, I'm with you. I'm questioning the Cavaliers, but hey, guess what? We did that this time last yeah, year. Yeah, they, they struggled last so, year. So, I mean, maybe the secret for them is don't finish in the top 10 in ERA nationally. <laughs> now they got a couple guys get hurt. Maybe that's the key. Yeah. Add some um, more trials and tribulations. Some... <laughs> By the way, this weekend, I will finally present Brian O'Connor with his Coach of the Year award. Nice. So, yeah, waited to do that until we're in town. <laughs> yeah, exactly. He had the, no, you come to us. Us. You want your stinking award? You come here, yeah. doggone it. I mean, it's, um, we are, in some ways, we're ridiculous. That's one of them. Uh, a few, I mean, speak of the Pirates, I mean, they Pirates. They kind of played the type, the two games I saw them, they're, they're not really, oh, they don't overwhelm you with talent, but they're a tough, hard-nosed team, that was what, what it took to win the uh, the two games I saw against uh, Southeast Louisiana and Maryland. Um, I hope Joe Ingles' arm is made of the rubber. He's going to need to make it, yeah. <laughs> he, pitches, he pitches a lot, what, he, he had threw, nine strikeouts yesterday? Yeah, he threw... Three innings against Maryland, I think, and he threw three innings in a midweek game. So I'm going to tell you, if he's Fayetteville yeah. tough. <laughs> being Fayetteville tough myself, uh, not, but being from Fayetteville, there's some tough kids down there. Uh, Joe Engel, uh, just a very – he was really good for them last year as a freshman. Um, he, I, I don't know if you can say he's made the lead. Again, it looks like. But they are really – they are very – they ride him heavily. Yeah. He's, an, he's an integral part of the Pirates' success. I'll tell you, the conference, they're in the American. American, American looks very yeah. solid. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I also did, I was checking on Conference USA this weekend because I was looking at Florida Atlantic. We talking about them as a ranked team. Is Rice another team we need to worry about, guys? Or 6-6? Six and six? A little bit. Um, We'd like to see know, more. I mean, they weren't, I mean, they were not that competitive in the, the Shriners College Classic out there. Uh, it feels like they lost the home series, Arizona, who's, it's not the worst thing in the world, but they're not a team. Not a it's a regional team. team. Right. So... I kind of like to see. I mean, I saw Duplantier pitch really well this weekend, so that's obviously big. But yeah, he's been huge just getting him back. I know they they sorely missed him last year. He didn't pitch at all for them. So they got a lot of run with Blake yeah. Fox's uh, taking off his hat yeah. pickoff throw. That's like the viral college baseball video of the week. Yeah, uh, the last couple of weeks. 
But I, I, I am concerned. I, I think that could be a focus for Shonradology, mm-hmm. uh, whether it's a, a, like the theme of one week or you could be like, here's the team that always goes to regionals that needs to be careful. Watch for this week because yeah. it feels like Rice uh, might be on that. So uh, good job, guys. A long podcast today with Teddy's uh, California contribution. And uh, we waxed eloquent as well about the college baseball we saw. I know we're excited about some conference. I mean, there are a few conferences that have already started uh, league yeah. play. Fresno beating San Diego State is a pretty big deal. <laughs> yeah, I mean, the Mountain West has already started. I think there are a couple other ones around the country that have had at least one series. Uh, but we get more and more into conference play next weekend when the ACC kicks into gear. And then really the next week, it's pretty much everybody, especially when the SEC gets started. So Everybody except the Big Ten. Which is odd because they only have, what, 14 teams that they have to play. They have a lot to go. I think the main thing is they can't play conference games at home in March because they would freeze. Mm. So um, that makes sense from a Big Ten perspective. Just sit back and wait. Uh, Global climate change will take care of all these uh, inequities in uh, college baseball scheduling. We just have to wait it out a little bit, guys. So uh, on that political note for Mike and for Jim, and for SeatGeek, our sponsor here on the podcast, and for Ted Cahill, I'm John Manuel. We'll see you on the next Baseball America College podcast. Until then, so long, everybody.